0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Neuroverse podcast on neurodiversity. I'm your host, Magnus Hedemark. It's been a week since the last time we talked, and the last time we talked, I did all the talking. We're going to get back to our main format this week. I've got a great guest for you. Before we get into that, I want to give you an update on our Patreon. I told you last week that the show was in a, in a state where it was almost self-supporting. And the show cost me about $20 a month in hosting, so I put it out there that, hey, it would be great if some of the friends of the show could get together and chip in and help cover the cost of the show. And you answered. You responded. I want to acknowledge some of the folks that uh, signed up to help support the show. So, we have two different main levels. We have the patrons that are putting up $5 or more per month. Chris Peters, who's been there almost from the beginning. Uh, my good friend, Dr. Nicole Radziwill. Bob Galen. Uh, I know a lot of these folks. And I've, I've worked with Bob in the past. It's been a few years. But Bob, thanks so much for your support. David Colburn. Jen, Jen Amira, I'm sorry if I'm saying this wrong, Amira, Amira, uh, tell me, tell me if I did. Well, I know one of those was wrong, but let me know. And then I also have a tier of friends for the podcast. I know $5 per month is a lot for, for some folks and really every little bit counts. So we have a friends of the podcast level. That's anything below $5 per month. And I really want to thank Grayson Brewer and Lisa Tomey for being friends of the podcast. You can become a patron too and get early access to new episodes of the Neuroverse while supporting the show. And I will have a link in the show notes to do that. Um, Since we are self-supporting at this point, I will say I'm going to do some research and find out what it would cost to have professional transcripts made of every episode to make this show more accessible to people who, who would need transcripts. Uh, And I'll get back to you. I'll let you know what that target would be and would love any help in getting there. Enough of that. I've got a great guest for you this week. This is somebody I've been speaking with on Twitter off and on, and uh, she has her own podcast. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, But really, we're, we're getting started with her on my podcast. I'd like to welcome Crystal Raposa. From Autistic Bodybuilding. Hey, Crystal.
1: Hi there, Magnus.
0: Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Autistic Bodybuilding. Wow. That's... So, when most people think of autistic people and special interests, it's usually somebody that looks more like me, maybe. Um, You know, a a white guy that's into trains. And I'm not into trains. I know. But... Uh, I don't see any of the stereotypes here. Bodybuilding, tell me about that.
1: Yeah, so that's kind of what I was trying to address. You know, a lot of people think that our special interests, in order for it to be a special interest, it has to be trains or it has to be, you know, physics, which actually I am into physics, but it has to be, you know, something math related. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of us have very, socially acceptable special interests and a lot of us that do have those socially uh, acceptable special interests we end up getting labeled high functioning or maybe not even diagnosed at all so I wanted to make this platform where people who might be you know I struggled through fitness school and people who might be struggling in gym class but still have an interest or struggling through fitness school but still have an interest and just like gosh, why does this seem like I should be like everyone else, but I'm not? I wanted to have a platform for them to to start to normalize autism within these more, you know, acceptable interests.
0: That's great. I I probably have, as many people do, a lot of preconceptions about what the bodybuilding world is like and how an yeah. autistic person might fit there. But I also, I wonder a lot how autistic special interests and that, that passion, that intensity, that all or nothing approach manifests for you when it comes to bodybuilding?
1: So, you know, I think it makes it a lot easier. When I started dieting the first time, my first competition ever, I remember I actually made it harder for myself because everyone said it was supposed to be so hard. And it was actually super easy for me just because and mind just mechanically kind of understood what I was supposed to do. And once I implemented it, I was just in that like groove, like a machine and I was good. And so I just noticed it, it actually kind of makes it a little bit easier in that sense. And the fact that bodybuilding is so individualized and a lot of the sport is keeping your head down and keeping yourself not even motivated, but mostly just disciplined and you know, just keep going back and have maintaining that fascination and wonder with the changes in your, your own body, I find it's a lot easier to maintain all of those things as an autistic. It's not until show day that I really start to struggle with the other things that the other competitors seem to be, you know, do a lot easier than I can.
0: So uh, for, for a lot of us, we didn't even know we were autistic until later in life, so tell me for you, what came first, bodybuilding or understanding that you're autistic?
1: Bodybuilding came first. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I was always into sports. I was into basketball when I was in middle school. I ended up doing... I ended up dancing for most of my teen years, which to me was was a sport, you know, and I still think it's a sport. Some people don't. And uh, yeah, I just getting off track here sorry but yeah I just um I noticed that it helped me somehow and I didn't know how I couldn't tell you how it helped me I knew that if I was frustrated and I went outside and threw a weight down my I had this really long driveway growing up and if I threw uh, like a dumbbell down the driveway I would feel better I couldn't explain to you why but I knew it helped And later on, I found out occupational therapists actually use something called heavy work for autistic children to help kind of get out some of that extra energy and unite their brain and body and implement some form of focus so that they can like really focus themselves and, you know, set out to do whatever they're trying to do, or maybe calm their nerves if that's what's going on. And I was like, wow, okay. So yeah, the bodybuilding came first. I'd be lying though if I said I didn't have an inkling I was autistic since I was sure. little. Yeah.
0: It's very familiar. Yeah. So when, it's when did a that? A lot of
1: people, sorry. A lot of people just told me that, uh, you know, I couldn't be autistic cause I was too smart. That's the one I got a lot. So I've
0: heard that too. Yeah. yeah. So how, how can you talk a little about how that revelation came?
1: So it was slow going. Um, I'll try to keep it brief. And I actually had to have a self-talk before the podcast. Like you have to keep the story brief if we ask you about this. Um, so I was, I started meeting autistic kids when, you know, when I was little, like most kids do. And I noticed I could communicate with nonverbal autistic kids. And I said, well, I can understand what they're saying. Why can't you? And then I started to put two and two together and realize I'm probably the same way. And, um, I mentioned it to my counselors and stuff when I was in my early teens and a lot of them said the you're too smart thing and so because they were so convinced that I was too smart to be autistic and I don't know why none of them sent me for an evaluation the way that they're supposed to but um nobody sent me for an evaluation or anything and they just basically decided well you have all the hallmark signs of someone who's been traumatized so they led me down this crazy route of like false memories and told me I had PTSD and all this stuff. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but if EMDR is done wrong, they can actually implement memories into your brain that weren't there in the first place. So I ended up thinking that all this awful stuff happened to me when I was little, but at the same time, I kept telling my counselors, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. So 16 years into misdiagnosis, I was about 30, 31 years old or so. And I said, this is ridiculous. If it was really PTSD, then the flashbacks would be getting better. I don't even feel like I'm flashing back to anything. I don't understand what they think I have here. Something's wrong. And I started to say, I started to really go back to that autism idea. And I said, you know what makes a lot more sense? That I'm having meltdowns, not right. flashbacks. Yeah, that I'm I'm just melting down and that my sensory needs aren't met. And, you know, a lot of these things that they were telling me were body memories actually made a lot more sense as sensory processing disorder. And then somebody close to me got diagnosed, their daughter actually got diagnosed with sensory processing disorder, and then the light bulb went off. And I I had this counselor at the time that had really, she had misdiagnosed me in the worst way, and I will not get into that too much, but she had really misdiagnosed me in probably the worst way, and I was losing my mind. And I stopped seeing her. I just cut everything off, and I said, I'm not doing anything until I get an evaluation. So I went and got an evaluation because I needed that validation to move forward and protect myself and my own needs, and that wasn't until I was about 32. So,
0: so it almost sounds like the system, as it existed at that time, was there to professionally gaslight you.
1: It's, that's what it feels like even to this day. Um, I still don't do too well with counselors. And I've even had, my mom went to a counselor recently. She's been afraid of counselors too, and she's also autistic. And uh, she even had a counselor tell her that she can't be autistic because she has a sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah so we just kind of feel like they don't understand and we've mostly just given up which kind of stinks but you know there are other ways to get around counseling you know there's journaling and stuff like that and you know of course and you mentioned we'll get to this a little bit later but also being a minority can kind of be really tough to connect to counselors because a lot of them are older white guys <laughs> right and i'm a young hispanic woman so a lot of the time they don't understand necessarily what's bothering me about the world too so yeah,
0: and and that's kind of why I wanted to ask about diagnosis. I know that's a, a sensitive subject area for a lot of people, but there are so many autistic people who have been lost by the system, forgotten, abandoned by the system, because the system was made by and for white males. So, mm-hmm. and and I was even lost. I'm a white male, and I was lost by the system until my mid thirties. Mm-hmm. And I have to imagine if these diagnostic criteria are optimized for white males, like how many people are we losing? How many people are we abandoning or misdiagnosing, mistreating, and not giving the answers and the help that they need just to like get through life?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really big problem, especially for impoverished communities, which we know tend to, you know, the, the poorest parts of the city tend to be predominantly people of color. And the research, like you said, isn't even geared towards people of color, let alone it, do these people in those areas even have access to it? it. It's it's so broken and it hurts. It really does hurt to watch especially watch what's happening right now in black communities and just go, oh my God, how much of this could be prevented if the research didn't favor this one group of people and just the research, let alone the stuff that trickles down from the research, just the research alone, if we had a better understanding.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like a a self-serving vicious cycle. As you mentioned, the therapists tend to be, often white males or or white females. I've had both and they're seeing the world and developing their research and uh, examining their results through that lens, through that world experience Mm -hmm. and completely forgetting the challenges they've never had to live through.
1: Right. Which if I look at it, it's like no false memories necessary. They probably could have explained a lot of the trauma I had By just realizing I was autistic and a Hispanic woman living in the, you know, 20, what are we in the 21st century now? (laughs) So, I mean, it's like they, yeah, if they had just realized that, I think it would have just been like, oh, well, that's basically born with trauma when you're born that way, you know? And I don't think, I don't think they even stop to think about that, really, when they have someone like me in front of them.
0: Okay, so.
1: I know. We've that got, was a tangent. <laughs>
0: yeah, No, it was a really super valuable one, but I think it might yeah. help to set the stage for the, the next subject. So Hispanic autistic woman, not yet knowing she's autistic, maybe by this point, entering the professional bodybuilding world. Mm-hmm. What's that like?
1: Um, There was a lot of bullying. <laughs> really? That's what it felt like. Not the bodybuilders. Don't get me wrong. Bodybuilders. As I've gotten deeper into the actual world of bodybuilders, they're actually some of the most beautiful, determined people you will meet. They know struggle. Otherwise they would not be doing this. They understand transformation through body, soul and spirit on all levels. And it's amazing to watch a lot of us now. I mean, of course there's some of us that really are just in it for superficial reasons. Right. And I don't really connect with those people often enough to even notice them quite honestly. But um, entering the world is difficult because the the whole world of bodybuilding and fitness and sports itself is kind of surrounded by this ring of people who aren't quite mature enough to advance that far, but are going to try really hard. So like fitness college, I got, you know, I went to occupational school for, fit, for personal training and, um, you know, I just got bullied a lot. People didn't understand what I was saying. Why I asked so many questions, why I trained a certain way, why I needed to know the foundation of something before I could know the, you know, how to implement it. And people got really frustrated with me. I got bullied a lot. There was a lot of times when I was having sensory overload and I, oh, this was an awful moment. I was having sensory overload and I was just like, oh my freaking God, with like all these papers in front of me and this kid, and I call him a kid because he's younger than me. <laughs> That's the weird part of going to college when you're older. This kid behind me, though, he was having kind of a heated discussion with someone else and thought I was talking about him and just, like, went off on me. And I almost got into, like, all this trouble and stuff. And I'm like, it really is just I don't know what, like, understand what's going on right now. And I didn't know I was autistic yet. And I didn't have the words to convey, like, this is what's happening. I'm overwhelmed. I have no idea what's happening. And you're freaking me out because this caught me off guard. And, yeah, so it, it was a whole and it was really difficult and I just remember going through the whole thing and the only thing sounds really cheesy the only thing that really kept me going every day was I don't have the words to describe what I'm going through I don't know what's happening to me but I know that if it's happening to me it's happening to other people and I have no idea how but I am gonna find a way to help other people like me in this situation and (laughs) I didn't know how at the time I told people I was going to start a hippie gym. I, that's how I, that's hippie the only gym. way I knew like Yeah. I, I just wanted a free spirited gym where people could learn their own way. And eventually what that evolved into is what I have now, which is the, okay, now I have the word it's autism. Now I can help other autistics learn how to train themselves without putting them through that nonsense. So that's my goal.
0: Okay. So, I
1: know that was a lot. I'm no, sorry. this is
0: good. Don't apologize. <laughs> this this I know, is great. I, I'm
1: working on that. I'm working on the apologizing. It's tough.
0: Okay. So you, you got yourself into the fitness world. You progressed beyond that entry level of bullying and 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 gotten to where like the folks are just real and accepting you've gotten some answers for yourself. You're starting to want to share those answers with others. And it sounds a lot like what I'm doing here with this podcast. And I've seen you get like getting out there on Twitter, getting out there on Instagram, YouTube. Now uh, your, your own podcast. Tell me about that. Like what, what's your big vision here and how does, how does all of this tie together?
1: The big vision is really just that, you know, there's this generation of kids coming up. That have been suggested, you know, subjected to ABA and all these things, and they're gonna need help untangling when they get older. There's no transitional programs from, you know, age from being an autistic child to an autistic adult. And basically, my focus is just to help autistic adults. And you know, I can't help them in every way possible. And there's plenty of awesome advocates out there doing, you know, helping in general. And so I figured, you know, my special interest is fitness and I can at least help in that way. And it's, I do want to add this because it's a point that I think about a lot. A lot of the time, there are a lot of fitness people who try to put autistics into a fitness regimen because Mm -hmm. they act like it's going to fix them. I've seen that. And I want to clarify, I don't think this is going to fix anybody. I just think it helps a lot. You know i just had to go through three months of covid with no gym it was really difficult and so of course i had to get around my you know difficulties without really a whole lot of heavy work and but i managed to get through so i don't mean to i, I don't want anybody to think that the reason i'm doing this is because i think it's going to fix anybody i just think fitness is another tool in, you know an autistic adult's toolbox to help them get through tough times in life. You know, when I can't hold a job because my executive too, dysfunction is too bad, at least I know I can go to the gym every day. And that's something, you know, and that's not going to work for everybody, but it helps
0: me. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I know a conversation we've started before. I'm not going to put you on the spot with this, but
1: no, you uh, totally can. I don't mind.
0: I, I've had this like, um, love hate relationship with fitness and my own body. Right. I, I, I know some people, many people are happy with the weight that they're at, even if it's not something that like a medical professional would endorse. Uh, I am personally probably 110, 120 pounds more body fat than I should have for somebody of my my height and my build. Uh, I, w- I went through my own periods of fitness and one of them was like went so well I had dropped over 90 pounds I I wasn't bodybuilding so I wasn't like trying to build muscle mass but I had good cardiovascular health I was able to like sprint up mountains like a goat uh, and I, I got to do that in Ireland and it was fantastic
1: but oh, wow I'm so jealous what
0: but it's it's a it's a very fragile thing for me right I can't, I just can't deal with the gym environment and the sensory overload, the smells, like the sweatiness and, uh, people dropping weights on the floor, like the clanging and, uh, it's just all way too much. So everything I've done has had to be like, what can I do in my own home with Mm -hmm. the only thing I've gotten in the the way of gear is like, I've got a, a kettlebell and Um, one of those Bowflex, uh, max trainers Mm -hmm. and, um, just using, this is where it gets like really nerdy and super autistic. I use the, my, my fitness pal app on my phone and logged like every damn thing I put in my mouth.
1: Oh yeah, I'm the same way, but I'm a bodybuilder, so I guess.
0: That's- <laughs> yeah, but it was, I was trying to like turn fitness into an equation, knowing like, well, if, if I burn so many calories and I eat so many calories and I get the deficits right and I'm watching my macronutrients, like I'm 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 just gonna crush this. And the the you know, the, the body didn't didn't quite hold up to the math. Sometimes it did well, and sometimes it's like two weeks of nothing changing three weeks of nothing changing. And then all of a sudden there's like 20 pounds gone. Um, so I don't know if, if you, if you're working a lot with autistic folks that struggle with, um, maintaining the regimen or like finding ways to get fit without necessarily going to a gym. Is that something you've, you've talked to a lot of folks about?
1: Yeah. So actually my first podcast was about the different kinds of fitness and how to actually find your your version of fitness and I just kind of gave everybody a brief overview of the different kinds and different things you can try. I think I think the gym thing, I don't know where it came from that suddenly it's like the gym is the only thing that's really being looked at as a way to get fit these days but there's tons of different things. There's a, uh, there's primal workouts. Primal workouts are amazing for somebody who's, especially who's autistic and working out at home. A lot of us have a lot of fun with that because it's all body weight and it's all balance And it's like, you're doing things like flipping on your arms and, they're easily regressive because if you're started, you know, you start from wherever you're at, if you can't put all your weight on your arms yet, you know, you start on your knees and you gradually roll yourself right. up and you, you gradually learn to use your body weight and your core strengths to move yourself. You know, just getting outside and walking honestly is so freaking underrated. It drives me nuts. I'm like, why is everybody, everybody feels like they have to go lift. And I'm like, just, just go walk, get outside, especially as an autistic. Like, hearing all those sounds and watching the trees move around you and stuff can really ground you in a way that other things can't. So I think the gym's great for some of us because, you know, for me, I love it because I feel like I can really be myself there, which I know to some autistic sounds absolutely backwards. But to me, I feel like, well, everybody's kind of working out their feelings there. So if I don't make eye contact and I don't do this, or I don't, if my social norms aren't great, that nobody's really going to notice. So I like that. That's like my version of being social. But I can totally get, yeah, if, if there's too many different sounds and it's inconsistent, people are in and out, and you don't know your machines are going to be available, it's just too overwhelming. And yeah, it's that's definitely time to get outside or find something else, even just a hobby that you know involves a lot of heavy work if you you know pick up something like pottery can be kind of heavy if you do it the right way uh not ceramics uh using cement to do sculptures and stuff like that anything that forces you to do heavy work and then what i end up doing is helping the autistic do it in such a way that they won't hurt themselves so Maybe you don't like lifting weights, but I'm sure maybe once a week you don't mind lifting just shoulders so that you don't become imbalanced and hurt yourself right. while you're doing the heavy thing. So that's kind of my goal in those situations is to get them doing something they like and make sure they're balanced and safe while doing it.
0: Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to digest this for a while myself and see what I can change up.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, like, like my mom, she doesn't like to go to the gym, you know, but she, well, her case, she just works at home Depot, you know, she got a really heavy lifting job and she, she climbs through the bays and everything. She's like in there pulling stuff out and it's a lot of heavy work. And what I do for her is when she gets out of work, you know, she, occasionally her back will start to, you know, get a little bit upset with her or whatever. And I'll just help her strengthen her core and, keep her keep her spine in line so that she doesn't get hurt but that works fine for her she doesn't really have to do any other workouts besides it and that's totally okay
0: oh my gosh yeah i remember before working a desk job uh i worked on a fishing boat worked at pet boys uh in the tire room and just like throwing tires up on shelves and pulling them down again and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and i could eat like a jumbo pepperoni pizza and just have the best abs you know like that was my mm-hmm. workout um and then you know going to the desk job i could eat salads every day and i'll be like way overweight so
1: yeah you should get um if activities. you're nerdy about stuff like that you should get a Fitbit because it'll tell you how many calories you expend and then when you log your calories mm-hmm. you'll be able to actually see the difference and that's like it's like nerdy to the end having of data degree, is amazing me so happy
0: <laughs> yeah I, I did the apple watch thing and That's kind of helped too uh, when, when I'm being serious about it, Mm -hmm. we talked a lot about fitness. We talked a lot about autism. I didn't want to let this one thing go. You mentioned earlier, uh, that there's another intersection being a minority, being a Hispanic woman. And I'm wondering if, is there anything that you've seen, uh, about the experience of being a, a Hispanic woman that's been colored by also being autistic? Like how does it change that experience?
1: Uh, Well, I'm actually technically non-binary, which is interesting because I know I'm a woman because the world tells me I am, but my autistic brain can't compute what that actually is. It's like, okay, I was told I was a woman, so I guess that's what I am. Right. And I wouldn't even honestly think to like change my body. I just don't have a concept for gender. I struggle a lot with that. I,
0: I love like, this. I, w- whenever I we talk I with am. autistic people, like the, the subject of sexuality and of gender identity tends to like really blur the lines from yeah. neurotypical thinking.
1: You know, it's just not there for me. I don't really know what to do with it. So, I mean, that, I mean, you didn't ask what the bodybuilding side, but, of course, that plays a role in bodybuilding because I'm, like, on stage as a woman. And, you know, of course, people call me she and stuff. But same time, I'm just like, what does this even mean? I don't know. Right. So, that's kind of always weird. But um, as a Hispanic and an autistic, it's, you know, I feel like I get a lot less leniency than white people in my interactions with like authority figures like I feel like people will more openly look at me like I'm weird like people flat out look at me like I am weird to the point where it's actually would be rude if I was like I think if I was anyone else I would probably see it as really rude I just kind of got used to it in my life over time the funny thing though about answering questions like this, especially when you're autistic and don't always understand social norms is it's not until you get older and realize that other people are treated differently than you, that you even realize you've had discrimination. So I'm still at 33, looking back at different points in my life and going, Oh, that person was discriminating against me. Oh, that person was discriminating against me. It's really, it's like a constant, exploration. It's kind of difficult to stay positive through it, but you kind of have to, or you're going to freak out. I don't know. It's um, if you had something more specific to ask me about that, I well, think I might be able to answer it a little bit.
0: Sure. I, I, I wonder. So like in a recent episode, I was interviewing Wes Wade who was telling me that uh, being ADHD was like an accelerant to the black experience in America and th- that was really profound. That one is really hanging with me. Uh, so I wonder if you notice yourself being treated differently than other Hispanic people because of the intersection of being autistic and non-binary and Hispanic? Oh And, and then, yeah. And then the next thing would be, do you notice that you're treated differently? Than other Hispanic people, by, I mean yeah. by uh, by other Hispanic people.
1: So okay, so first of all, I don't think you can talk about this without first addressing that Hispanics have largely been erased in this country. So what I mean by that is, like, um, if we if we're Hispanic but we look white. A lot of the time our black friends will treat us like we're white and can't possibly have any problems with the police. And we just kind of feel like we can't really talk about our experiences to our black friends. And then our white friends will look at us like, yeah, but you're a person of color, right? So like your bra- your black friends have your back, right? And you're like, they don't even get it. And right. it, it's really, it, there's this kind of erasure that happens. And, you know, you could trace that as far back as, you know, the Aztecs and this the Spaniards invading the Western half of the, North American continent where they literally just melt da- melted down all my ancestors artifacts and just we've effectively been erased like the thing that sucks about disabled and hispanic history is that you know At least black people have a history to say, this is what happened to us. This we have proof and I know they don't have as much proof and I know it still sucks for them and it's really hard, but I think, and I, I think this is important why we should get behind their fight because they do have the proof that we don't. Right. You know, but what sucks for us is we don't have the proof. You know, when they put us in gas chambers in Germany first before anyone else, they didn't really document that. We weren't even really people. They were like, get rid of them, done. You know? Wow. So it's so hard to even know how to address issues that aren't even documented. You don't even know what oppression you've been through. And a lot of the time, what I'm getting at here is I can't even identify a fellow Hispanic out in the world with me. So in order to really know whether or not I get treated differently than other Hispanics as an autistic, I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't honestly tell you. So that's a bizarre, it's a bizarre feeling to not entirely know how much different my experience is from everyone that's else. That's kind of profound. It's scary. It, well, it's scary too, because the thing is, and, lo- and I don't have kids, but if I did, what would I tell them? How do I tell them to behave around police if I don't know whether that officer is going to see them as white or black or just a person of color? We don't know how we're going to be seen until we're already in the interaction. And if I'm having a particularly autistic day, I don't know whether I'm going to, whether the person in front of me is going to see me as quirky or dangerous. Mm. I, I don't know. So it's... Yeah, it's still pretty much a tough question to answer, unfortunately, but I think it says a lot and I don't think it's an invaluable answer to say that we really, well, for me anyways, as a Hispanic autistic, I really don't know how the person in front of me is going to see me until I start talking.
0: That's huge. And I'm, I'm, I'm I'm almost at a loss for words right now because like it, it, contrasts so much with the other experiences I've had on the show. And this is why I love doing this podcast. I'm talking to people from all different backgrounds and hearing things that I've never been exposed to from my own life experience or from the previous conversations I've had on this show where mm-hmm. like using the West Wade example again, he very much knows his identity and he very much knows when other people look at him like that, he's a black man Mm -hmm. and he knows what kind of conversations to have with his children about race in America and, and, and how to be safe in the world and successful. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I know what conversations to have with my own kids. Uh, All right. I just totally lost.
1: (laughs) Well, and also, and I'll add too, I grew up in Massachusetts and then moved to Colorado later in life. So that was different too, because Massachusetts has a very big Portuguese and Italian population. Mm -hmm. So me as a Portuguese, Puerto Rican, I just kind of blended in and I was treated like I was the white privileged majority and it never even occurred to me. And it wasn't until I moved here with a huge mexican population and the sun's always out so i get a little bit darker here it's a little bit more obvious and so i noticed i got treated and, and i mean the police here are from like the rural parts of colorado they're from oklahoma they're from kansas they're from places where they might have never even seen a person of color ever and all of a sudden i went oh my god i'm a second class citizen." It was right. really bizarre to feel that change in privilege, and what's even weirder for me is when I see white white people try to deny that privilege. I'm like, you can't deny like. If, if black people understood that us Hispanics are a great example of like, use us, please use your Hispanic friends, because we know, we know that there is white privilege because we get treated different depending on where we live, what color we mm-hmm. are that part of the year or whatever. And, you know, use us, we can back you up. We, we know white privilege is real. We can prove it. <laughs> so, it's
0: like AB testing, right? Yeah,
1: right. <laughs> Or it's like when a, when a um, trans man says, yeah, I was treated differently before my transition. And everybody's like, oh, wow. See, we were right. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's, there are people that, you know, we, we have these different, we can walk in these great areas of life. Use us. We can, we can prove you right. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I sometimes get that. Like I can, if I work hard at it, pass as neurotypical. I can. Yeah. I, I very easily pass a straight and it's, it's um it's kind of funny to see people just making assumptions that because, because I don't ter- talk in a certain way, yeah. I don't carry myself in an effeminate way that, um that they feel that they, they can just share homophobic jokes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I totally get it. And
1: you're like, yeah, I know. But then it's I can wild. go into a
0: gay club, and they think I'm, and they think I'm straight, oh, no. right? That's and I, I've I've had that happen where like I'm hanging out with my friends and you know, got a drink, and somebody starts coming on to me, and then they're reading me, and their gaydar is not going off. I'm not gay. I'm bisexual. So I don't fit in either world. Right. I know.
1: And I think it's tough too, as an autistic, I don't think we give off that vibe anyways. <laughs> like, a lot of people get the wrong idea about whether or not I'm attracted to them. And I don't know where that comes from. And I just think it's because I don't have any idea what vibe I'm giving off at all. I try, but I don't know.
0: <laughs> is is it, I don't know if you have a lot of autistic people in your life, like in the real world. And if so, Do you think that other autistic folks um, get those social cues from you better than neurotypical folks?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And you know what's funny, and I don't know if you have the same thing, you know, but I feel like us that those of us who are diagnosed later in life, we tend to. A lot of our friends probably are, but they're not diagnosed. I don't know if you have the same thing, but for me, like a lot of my friends after I get diagnosed were like, oh, I probably am too. A lot right. of them just don't feel the need to get a diagnosis for whatever reason, but a lot of them have come to me and gone, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's that thing. So I think I do have a lot of autistic people in my life. And yes, I do think we all give off a very gender fluid and sexuality fluid kind of vibe. I think a oh, lot yes. of us get in very confusing romantic situations with people that really got the wrong idea. So mm-hmm. I think I see it a lot. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah. I, I, I And it, it drives me nuts when I hear, getting back to the clinical folks that are always misdiagnosing us and misunderstanding us. I know it's, it's frustrating and sometimes infuriating when they break out those old chestnuts about us being humorless or asexual. And a lot of autistic people are asexual, but that's definitely, definitely not a broad brush to paint us with. Um, Or, lacking in the ability to have like deep social conversations and and pick up social cues because we do pick up social cues from one another.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I don't think that could be further from the truth because, you know, I think that what we lack and, and honestly this can be kind of a curse with the way the world is set up now, but I think we make up for what we lack with communication with almost a psychic bond of people we like yeah. telepathically bond to the people that we're close to you know i had an incident the other day I, one of my close friends had actually had dementia and i bonded to her so psychically i actually felt her get upset yeah. all the way across town and didn't know it till the end of the day when her sister called me and said uh my sister got really upset can you go check on her and i said oh my god i felt that like We know we, we bond to each other in a way that I think is stronger. And also we do have certain facial expressions that I've noticed is very native to the autistic community. Like the bug eye thing. Right. We do this thing. (laughs) when we're like oh (laughs) it's like we open our eyes really wide that's that's a very autistic expression i've noticed and we all know what that means amongst Mm -hmm. each other we're all kind of just like oh that means that she feels a little bit weird about what she just did you know (laughs) and i could also perceive
0: like everybody listening to this can't see us but i can see you right now through the zoom call that we're recording through and i i could see as that concept was building up inside of you. I I could see the smirking and the smiling from inside, like the deep satisfaction that I've cognitively put this together. Now I'm I'm figuring out how to get it out.
1: Oh, that's so cool. I've never, you know, I've noticed that, but I've never articulated it. And I'm glad you pointed it out because we do. Like I, that's how I know my mom gets a concept is because her face starts to light up and it means she's starting to get what I'm saying to her. She's Mm -hmm. like, I'm getting it. it's like, yay. (laughs) Because we will, you know, our contagious amongst ourselves is, our excitement amongst ourselves is just contagious. Like we can feel each other's like, they're so excited because they're doing this and like, you know, I stim for my clients. I do my client. you know, one of my clients just went back to the gym and I was literally stimming for him. I was yes. like, "Yay!"
0: And the happy flapping.
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, you know, we do, we, we share a bond that I think you know, is just different and it, it's fulfilling for us. Maybe it wouldn't be for neurotypical, but it is for us. And that's what we need. And I don't think that should be discounted.
0: It's funny. I had a coworker. I, I work with one openly autistic person and, um, I, I really treasure that relationship because no matter how tough things get at work, like we, we can talk about it and, and we have that shared experience. And, uh, we spend a lot of time on video conference, especially now with COVID-19 and, uh, I'm at a standing desk and when I'm engaged in these work meetings I'm up on my toes and I'm doing my t-rex walking and I'm (laughs) flapping my hands and I'm stimming like crazy and sometimes I'm on like I was on a call doing that I was stimming like crazy and this friend was this autistic friend was on the call with me Mm -hmm. and she said something like Magnus is like a shark a shark has to keep moving or it eyes the movement
1: through the
0: well she could see me we had webcams oh, okay. on so she could okay. see me stimming deeply and i think i'm it may have been lost on me like perhaps other people on the call were getting uncomfortable with my m- movement mm. but she would she was right on it she's like magnus is like a shark shark's got to keep moving or it's dead magnus is thinking with his whole body and it's true. That's,
1: yeah. It's like m- my it.
0: body movement are attenuating, guiding my thought, and my, my sensory perception of everything they're telling me.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, there's science behind it that we store different things in our bodies. And considering that us autistics have way more synapses and way more connections in our brains, it makes sense that we have to move a certain part of our body to have a certain thought. Yeah. Or like we have to eject a thought to get the next thought out. That's another one I'll do. <laughs> My friends are like, do you just have to like, re- like throw up the last thought you had before you can think again? And I was like, yeah, pretty much.
0: Right. Or <laughs> then like there's the random movie. recall of useless information from many years yeah. gone by. Like, don't yeah, ask me funny. the name of a person that I just met last week because it's it's not yeah. there. It's gone. But ask me the jingle to a television commercial from the 1970s. And it's like instant recall.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a gift and a curse. Indeed. It's hilarious at times.
0: Well, Crystal, this has been an amazing and fun and enlightening conversation. And I'm so glad you were able to join us here today.
1: So much fun. Thank you. I hope I didn't get too excited and talk too fast for anybody. Never. I
0: yeah. So you're out there on tons of different places. Uh for Thank the you. audience, folks who really enjoyed hearing you and want to connect with you and follow your work, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: So right now I am in the middle of my first YouTube series on nutrition. So you can search Autistic Bodybuilding on YouTube, but you can find me everywhere. You want to find me by just going to autisticbodybuilding.com. So that way you can find me, you know, everything I'm doing, the podcast, the Twitter, the Instagram, all of it by going to autisticbodybuilding.com.
0: That is great. And for those of you listening to this through a podcast or through our podcast site, I've got a bunch of crystals links in the show notes. Twitter, homepage, podcast, Instagram, YouTube, blog. It's all in there. So definitely hook up follow her on all the things listen to her podcast and hey who knows maybe you'll get more fit get more healthy and and find a new special interest that is kind to your body and your mind
1: heck yeah let me know if you have any questions and i'm always here to help you guys
0: so speaking of kindness uh until next time please Keep being kind to other people around you, especially those who can't do anything for you in return. And don't forget, also be kind to yourself. Take good care of yourself. Take good care of the people around you. And we'll see you next week. Thanks so much.